Welcome to the Eye on Annapolis Local Business Spotlight. There are thousands of locally owned businesses in the area, some small and some large. Some you may know and others you don't. But one thing they all have in common is a great story, and we want to share it with you. Join us every Saturday as we talk to the founders, the owners, and the managers of local businesses you have come to know and love, and those you will come to know and love. Now here's your host, John Frenet, with this week's Local Business Spotlight. Well, we're just up here over Main and Market at 914 Bay Ridge Road in Suite 230, was it? Yes, sir. Okay, we are here with Peter Holland, who is the principal, and I think that's the proper term for a law firm, of the Holland Law Firm here. Just, yes. Uh, <laughs> local, did I get that right? Yeah, I think you did. Or a senior partner, the senior guy that partner, signs, signs the checks. Senior partner, dishwasher, yeah, check signer. I yeah. see the trash cans are empty, so you're doing yeah. a good job. You're still, <laughs> exactly. You're still, I, I, I know the deal with uh, being an uh, independent business owner. We first met, we're both members of SOFO, which is the South of Forest Drive Business Association. Yes. Um, you know, it was kind of funny when we were trying to figure this out. Um, I was talking to somebody in your office, Casey, and she says, well, would you, would you like to come in and sit with a table full of lawyers? I said, you know... I'm going with I'm going with the root canal. Let's yeah. just go with let's go with yeah. one lawyer. To- Understandable, but we have very nice and good looking lawyers here. So <laughs> there, there you there you go. Before we get into the type of business that you're doing, yeah. but I mean, how long have you been an attorney? It's getting easier to say, but I'm in year thirty. Oh my word. I'm in year thirty. I graduated law school in May of 1992. Passed the bar in December and sworn in, you know, in December of. Uh, 1992. Did you pass the bar in the first time or did you do a John Kennedy? No, no, no. First time. First time. <laughs> Just passed it by the skin of my teeth. School. Where, where did you go to school? I went to University of Maryland Law School. Okay. Um, I started out in Annapolis. Uh, my brother, my older brother had gone to St. John's College as an undergrad. And um, I finished college and I discovered this wonderful thing called the master's program at St. John's. And so I enrolled in that. And uh, they had a tie-in with University of Maryland Law School, so I could transfer some credits back and forth, and that seemed attractive. That so seems strange. I didn't realize they had something like that. That seems strange for St. John's to, to yeah. have the reciprocity to, to yeah. go back and forth. So, yeah. Did you graduate at the top of your This is a question my father always used to ask oh. his doctors. He says, oh, it's pretty impressive that you went to Harvard, but where were you in your class? I, mean, yeah. I want the guy in the top as opposed to the guy in the bottom. But Yeah, um, yeah. No, no, no danger. No, uh, I don't have... Uh, not the top of the class or, yeah. <laughs> good deal, good deal. Passed. Um, well, the Holland Law Firm, I, mean, I, you know, I went onto your website and you specialize in consumer law, which seems to me to be a little bit of a vague kind of, or an all, maybe an all-encompassing type of a moniker for it. But what type of law do you practice? Yeah, that, that's a great question. To say we do consumer law is, uh, for many people, it is vague or it is all-encompassing. So let me give you an example of what, what we call consumer law. Things like identity theft. If you are a victim of identity theft, the way you would find that out is probably you may get a debt collection letter in the mail and, and you say, I, I, I don't recognize this credit card account. Or you may get a notification that your credit score has suddenly dropped or some other kind of thing. Uh, you may even get like a, a job and somebody does a background check and they say, well, um, you have this problem in your background and, and you never knew about it because in fact it wasn't you. And so what we see a lot of these days is that identity theft. We all hear about, you know, hacks of your personal information. And so it's a very common scenario that we get in this office is uh, somebody who may have 
one, maybe five, maybe 10, in some cases over 20 fraudulent accounts have been opened in their name, and then they can't get it fixed. They're writing to the credit bureaus saying, this isn't me, here's my proof. And, and sometimes you can get it fixed, but when you can't get it fixed, we use things like the Federal Fair Credit Reporting Act or the Federal Fair Debt Collection Practices Act to you know go to court and rectify the situation. Okay, so you're not, I mean, you can do nothing about the person that stole the identity. Right. Um, but you're looking to find the legal ways to say, and, and I mean, I'm guessing that like in any kind of a legal situation, the burden of proof is on the, the lender per se. Right. Uh, so they would have to say, hey, this is why Peter Holland owes me this money. And then you can say, well, there's not my signature. Do you have a contract? And But that's a, that's a hassle. Precisely. It's a huge hassle. Most people don't realize this, but Credit reports, you know, Experian, TransUnion, Equifax, if you look at them as a whole, there's about a 26% error rate. That means if you pull your credit reports, there's a one in four chance that there's something on there that's not correct. Maybe it's a minor thing that you want to fix, or it could be a major thing like, this is not my account. It could be something called like a mixed file. There's another John Frenet out there, or another Peter Holland out there, or a hundred others. And somehow, some of that information has gotten mixed in with yours. Wow, that's, you know, you, and, and the credit bureaus, I mean, they're not, I mean, what was it, the Experian that had their big data leak a couple of years yes. ago, or one of, one of them, too, I yeah. agree. Yeah. Um, so you've got, to, you've got to worry about that. And I mean, they're obviously for profit as well. I mean, they're... Uh, they are built know. multi-billion dollar <laughs> corporations. Um, they make a huge amount of profit, and their products, unfortunately, have errors in them. And the burden really is on you to discover that and bring it to their attention. The way that the law works under the Fair Credit Reporting Act is that these bureaus, they have a duty to ensure the maximum possible accuracy of their information. But it's really kind of, unless you make a complaint, unless you bring it to their attention, nothing happens. They don't know about the inaccuracy. Correct. They wow. don't know unless you bring it to their attention. Wow. Well, I, I would think that that, you know, you're talking about identity theft. I mean, how big of a how big How, of, how, yeah, big, is, how big how is big. It is a big problem. We all... Um, get notifications that you were subject of a hack. I'm sure it's happened to you. I'm sure it's happened to most of the listeners. The problem is, okay, I was subject to a hack. Well, nothing bad has happened to me, you know, lately or in the last six months or in the last year. But we don't know who some of these actors are that, that hacked 20 million accounts, for example. And when are they going to appear? I, I don't know. Other than to tell you, it's a big enough problem that we are kept very busy in this law office of four lawyers with these problems. Is that like a, um, you know, like a, I guess like an hourglass, something that, that once a hacker, or once you get an identity theft gets into one, okay, somebody gets into my bank account or into my, my Southwest visa or whatever it may be, right? that once they get in, it's very quickly to easily to spread to other areas or, or to really um, compound it? Or is it, are they just sort of happy to get a credit card that works? Yeah, I mean, what we typically see, I mean, we do see um, bank account hacks. Um, you know, it's not unusual for us to get a call here that somebody, you know, is out $20,000 or $30,000 from a single hack that, you know, an account that had that much. But 
most common we see credit cards. So just basically a credit card that was opened in your name or a series of credit cards opened in your name and suddenly there's balances on them of a thousand, two thousand, five thousand dollars and there's some collection agency coming after you to pay a whole slew of debts that you never incurred. For that big screen TV that was yeah, <laughs> that, that was purchased or whatever, whatever it, it may be. be. Yeah. Well, I, I I know that it's uh, that way back when they used to when they would steal a physical credit card, they would quick go and um, get like a couple bucks worth of gasoline through an automatic automated reader just to see if the card was valid. That's correct. And then run over to Best Buy and buy those five TVs and the yes. computers and and the stuff that could be easily fenced. And that scenario hasn't really changed, although it doesn't require a physical card. Typically, you'll see a couple of small charges go through, and then they go crazy. And then they get it, and and then you're stuck. Do you think the move to electronic everything? I mean, you know, you've got Apple Pay. I've got an I've got a digital driver's license now on my phone that I can go through TSA with. Good, bad. I think the jury's out on that. Um, if you talk to the security experts, a lot of people will say that the cloud is more secure than, than anything, more secure than paper. And I suppose that may be true, but the problem is if I get your password, I've got the keys to the kingdom. Similarly, what, what the security experts would say is if you go back to the old days, if they got the key to your office or the key to your filing cabinet, they, they had the keys. The kingdom to too. The king, yeah. The problem is uh, with digital, we can search things just in an instant, right? Everything is more powerful, quicker. And um, so I, I, I think the jury's out on, you know, which is more secure. What anyone will tell you is, you know, more and more people moving to two-factor authentication. I know on my bank accounts, if I try to do something on the online, um, they're now insisting on sending me a code, you know, to type in, and and I, I that seems like a good idea to me. It's a it's a hassle, but it's it's true. I mean, my son is in in the cyber world, and he's. No, no, you definitely have to do it. You definitely have to do the two-factor authentication. Yeah. I mean, I would think identity theft would also go along with debt collection. Yes. Um, and I mean, you know, legitimate debt collection. I mean, do you is that something else that the Holland Law Firm handles? Yeah, we've spent a lot of time in in the collection space. And again, the cases that we are most involved in is somebody who is being pursued for money they don't owe. We, we've talked about um, identity theft, but another thing may be just literally, you know, charges on a credit card or a car loan or something that were not legitimate charges. We call them junk fees. I mean, everybody knows what junk yeah. fees are. And um, uh, so we see that a lot in um, student loans, car loans, credit cards, medical debt. In addition to junk fees, a lot of what we see is um Lawsuits that are that are filed against consumers that are past the statute of limitations. You know, generally speaking, for most things in Maryland, it's a three-year statute of limitations. Yet we have seen things filed five, six, seven, even ten years after that. Um, and so we are, um, you know, typically if we're in the debt collection space, it's on behalf of somebody that does not owe the money claimed. So you're not you're not defending somebody that. Trying to negotiate down debt. Um, no, we're not a debt settlement company or credit repair company. Right. We're really, uh, for the most part, a litigation shop, and we pick and choose our cases okay. very carefully. So you're not you're not the debt collector like up in that that one up in Pasadena. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was um, a funny story. Back when I owned a couple travel agencies, right after nine eleven, we had 
fell behind on the rent and the mm-hmm. landlord was like, okay, we're going to evict you because you're behind. I'm like, you know, all I need is three months to make it up. I, I you know, I'm, right. I'm catching up. And it was like, yeah, no, no, no. So we went to court and I met uh, the lawyer and he's like, yeah, he says, you want to settle this? I'm like, well, yeah. He says, well, I'll tell you what, you know, you owe like 3000 bucks or something like that. It, was, it, was, it wasn't much. He says, would you be able to pay it over the course of a year? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I said, okay, so let me explain it. Let me get this right, okay? I, yesterday, I was willing to pay 3000 bucks over the course of three months. And today, he's paying you $400 an hour to come down here to court to negotiate with me. Right. And now I get a year to pay it? Yeah. yeah. And he's like, yeah, that's kind of the way I'm like, okay, yeah. let's, you know. Yeah, it's ironic. It, it, it's similar, you know, with these collection cases, it's similar to a traffic ticket. When you get a, a speeding ticket, everyone will tell you, go to court, right? Maybe the cop doesn't show up. Um, maybe the prosecutor, you know, is uh, w- willing to negotiate. Maybe the judge is lenient that day. With small claims cases in general, it's the same thing. The, the biggest problem we see is people just give up and they don't even they don't even show up um if you show up you know go to court you know negotiate advocate for yourself but you're no worse off going to court right the worst that could happen is you lose and you for the full amount then you're where then you are where you were when you before you walked in right because if you don't walk in you're guaranteed almost to lose uh for the full amount claimed so always you know get involved show up in court, hire a lawyer if you need to. But doing something is better than doing nothing, like most things in life. That's true. As much as you want to want to push it back. Okay, I, I'm not I'm just trying to ignore yeah. that for now. That's not a good thing. Uh, do you get into tenant stuff? I, I mean, or, you know. Yeah, so the other thing um, we do on the consumer side, and, and I'll talk about the, the family law and the construction side and the general litigation in a minute. But yeah, landlord-tenant, um, we do get into that. A lot of times it's on the class action um, sphere. So I talked earlier about people collecting money that's literally not owed. And so we have seen that in the landlord-tenant context, property management companies, collection lawyers that are basically imposing fees say in an HOA context or a landlord-tenant context, they're, they're imposing fees that are not owed as a matter of law or they're suing beyond the statute of limitations, for example. So we have had a number of class actions in that space. Okay. Well, you also have partnered with um, Joe Donahue, I believe, haven't mm-hmm. you, for the hack thing? I mean, we're not going to get into the weeds on that because I know that's ongoing. But, right. But as far as that goes, so I mean, it's, you know, you guys are working together to to get some justification for the folks that are in there. Right, right. That's that's correct. And that would be an example of another type of land, landlord-tenant action that is class action-based. Interesting, interesting. You mentioned construction and family law? Yeah. So um, in addition to the consumer, we are a growing firm. I've been doing this for 30 years and recently entered a growth phase. So we've brought someone on um, who does family law. So that's divorce, custody, child support, visitation. Um, Do you mediation too? Mediation. I mean, mediation, when I started as a lawyer 30 years ago, mediation was a a concept, a construct, and people talked about mediation. The fact is now uh, you are forced to go to mediation in almost every case. So all lawyers are now engaged in mediation in some form or another. And most cases, the vast majority of cases resolve out of court. That's that's true in family law. That's true in, in civil law in general. True and then, in criminal then, law then it just goes in front of a judge for a signature. 
If you're talking about family law, yeah. I mean, if there's kids involved or property involved, yes, you can negotiate through mediation. You can litigate. You can partly litigate, partly negotiate. But at the end of the day, um, in a divorce situation, a judge has to sign off on it. I thought it was uh, recently, I know the Angelos family is going through their thing up in Baltimore, and the judge has said, look, I've seen the receipts, and this is going to get really ugly, and yeah. <laughs> no, nobody's going to come out of this really well. So I'm going to encourage everybody to negotiate right. and, and really mediate this if you can. But yeah. We'll set the court date for next yeah. July. So, Well, you know, one of my favorite mottos is the best way to settle a lawsuit is to prepare for trial. And so if you're preparing as if you are going the full course that shows the other side that you're ready to go the full course and then it's kind of like peace through strength then it's more likely to result in a negotiated settlement the worst thing you can do is just assume it's all going to work out and then suddenly you wake up one day and you know you're picking a jury Um, so by preparing for trial in every case we're able to maximize you know the, the mediation process Interesting. Well, it's, a, it's sort of a different shift in, in what you, you've done uh, in the law, law thing. I mean, you know, trial, 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 or litigate, yeah. litigate, litigate. And Well, everybody loves to say they're a trial lawyer, but if you look at the statistics, the, the, the chance of your getting to a full-blown jury trial are pretty low. The, the system is designed to uh, weed out as many cases as possible you know, along the process. That makes sense. I've had jury tri- jury duty here in Anne Arundel County. I also had federal up in Baltimore and uh, dismissed all times. I mean, never never sat on a jury. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's a real privilege to sit on a jury, or at least I think it would be because I've never been picked. I've been called one time, and um, but that was back when I was a law student, I think, and I, I didn't get picked. But um, it's so important, in my opinion, that you know that we live in this democracy, and part of that is the privilege to participate in the court system as a juror. You know, um, I, I don't disagree with you there. I mean, you know, you've got the whole jury of your peers. I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's, it's a phrase, but I mean, truly, it is. It, it really is. And you know, there's this common you know thing about people. Oh, jury duty. You know, I dread it. And, and lawyers will even say in court, well, you know, we know you don't want to be here. I mean, what an awesome system we live in where citizens, citizens get to make ultimate decisions in important things, civil rights, uh, personal injury, criminal law. Is somebody going to be convicted and, and go to prison or are they going to go free? I mean, think about that. It's just it's just an awesome power that does not exist in a lot of countries. It's a really special feature of this country. And um, I take real pride in it. I, I'm, I'm proud to be an officer of the court and a, and a participant in that system. I agree. I would love to. I would love to sit on a jury. Yeah. I would love to see that process from a from a different angle. From yeah, you and me both. CSI <laughs> and you know, yeah. everything else. I would know it's not like that as well. Yeah, construction law. Yeah, so construction law. Um, so we have an attorney now that we we associate with as of counsel. His name's Derek Hills, and he has this really unique perspective for a construction lawyer because he actually was in construction for twenty years before he went to law school. And he did estimating, he did project management, he did sites visits, he worked with vendors, he worked with adjusters, and so he brings all of that wealth of knowledge uh, to going to law school and now being a practicing attorney. And he kind of focuses on 
custom built homes, kind of higher end custom, you know, built homes gone wrong, or maybe there's a foundation crack, or maybe the the roof trusses, you know, weren't okay. strong enough, um, that kind of thing. Okay, I thought I was going to ask you whether this is more on a, a corporate level, like a, a developer working on a. Well, it's it, it's corporate also. I mean, it, it, it also involves like businesses, say, for example, the owner of um, a built an office building. OK, so the similar thing, if there's design defects, if there's, um, you know, defects, that's kind of, um, you know, th- those are kind of the cases that he really focuses. Well, on. It sounds like he's got all the uh, the background to know where all the skeletons might be buried. Or, he knows or where the skeletons and- are. I've, I've worked with him. I've seen him talk to people and ask questions that wouldn't even occur, you know, to me. And I'm a practicing lawyer, but construction, you know, it, well, it's you, a specialty. You, you stay in your lane. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah. I, that makes sense. Now, how many attorneys do you have working for you? Um, so we have uh, three full-time attorneys, you know, myself, Emmanuel Turnbull, Manny, and, and he really focuses on our consumer litigation, our, our fair credit reporting, identity theft especially. We have Jessica Russell. She focuses primarily on the family law, but we all do consumer. And then we have Derek Hills. His focuses primarily on the construction, but also consumer. Um, we do things like car fraud, uh, wrongful repossession. What's car fraud? Car fraud, car dealer fraud. So somebody sells you a used car or a new car and there's something that wasn't disclosed, like maybe that it was in a major accident, maybe that it had flood damage, maybe they have jacked the price up, um, you know, the loan price up, maybe they've put in bogus charges. It could be it could be run the gamut. Uh, you could think when you say, "Would you buy a used car from this person?" <laughs> uh, you know, some of them are as bad as a rebuilt wreck. Uh, some of them are not safe. They have you know frame damage. It, it could be anything. Again, usually our angle is going to involve some aspect of consumer finance. Uh, another one of my uh, favorite mottos is "liar in one, liar in all." So if 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 somebody lied to you about about the the condition of the vehicle, for example, chances are there's some other lies. There's in some there other too. fibs there. Yeah. So I, I'd call you for my. Uh, 74 Pinto with the Firestone 500s. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it catches on fire. Yeah, yeah. Right. Only been driven by grandma to, right. to church on the weekends. Um, what other types of, of law? I mean, you, you seem to have been expanding over the years. I mean, are you looking to expand into any other kind of law? Or are you? Yeah, so, I mean, I started out working for a, a general practitioner here in Annapolis, and I have done everything from divorce civil rights, racial discrimination, gender discrimination, property condemnation. I mean, I really have done the whole gamut. And what I bring to the table now, I think, is that that experience, that perspective of 30 years of helping people resolve disputes. And so in addition to the areas that I've talked about, I also do kind of general civil litigation. If you have a problem that needs, you know, someone with um, a lot of perspective and experience, you know, I help those kind of people as well. Being an attorney, I mean, you know what flies and what doesn't fly Yeah, from, from a legal point of view. Um, yeah. I've heard of stories. I know Maryland uh, and uh, Trip and Fall. Yeah. And Maryland is, I think, one of four states that, Contributory negligence, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something, something along yeah. those lines. They're very difficult to win, right? And I mean, that's some knowledge that you know only an attorney really would have. Yeah, th- that's true. And so that perspective, you know, um, 
Not too long ago, I was approached by an attorney who said, I'm retiring, I'm getting out of my practice, and I would like to help you negotiate, you know, and represent me in that kind of exit strategy. Uh, That was a huge compliment. That was someone who had been practicing even longer than I have. But again, um, the reason that person picked me said, well, you have the experience. And he said, you know, you're, you're a bridge builder, you're a peacemaker. And I do take a lot of pride. I bring that, that approach to all of the litigation and problem solving that I do. So as I said earlier, the best way to settle a case is to prepare for trial. So by vigorous advocacy, then we can bring in that judgment to creatively resolve problems. Do you do bankruptcy at all? Don't do bankruptcy. Um, That's kind of a specialty. I deal, I I refer people on occasion to a bankruptcy lawyer. It's funny, when I used to do a lot, a lot of debt collection, I would tell people we were the bankruptcy prevention clinic rather than the bankruptcy Uh, clinic. You know, and, and actually it's still a truism. A lot of people, they just get so overwhelmed, they say, I have to declare bankruptcy. And and it's an emotional decision. And there are plenty of good bankruptcy lawyers and, and also plenty of bankruptcy lawyers who will say, well, having made that emotional decision, I will help you declare bankruptcy. And it's not always something that's absolutely necessary. Well, I, I will say that at one point, um, you know, post-divorce and everything else, I mean, there was, you know, there was the bills and the private school and the whole, the whole thing was yeah. like, and, and I, I felt that way. And I was like, okay, let me make a phone call. Yep, and, yep, and, and yep. I did make a phone call. I did go in and I did say, and then I said, you know, I think this is going to screw me for a long time. Yeah. So let me just see if I can muscle down and, and, yeah. and, and we came out on the other side without doing it. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm proud of that. Yeah. Uh, you, well, as well, you should be. Bankruptcy is another wonderful facet of our, you know, legal system we've built, but it's not for everybody. And I don't think it should be a knee jerk or the go to. It's important when you're feeling that way to sit down with an attorney and go through what is your situation? What are your options? Um, and, you know, we take pride in doing that as well. And, you know, when we feel like this really needs the input of a bankruptcy attorney, then we have good people that we refer to. Right. When's the best time to call an attorney and get an attorney involved in something like this? I mean, if I I get a ding on my phone and says, hey, there's a new action on your credit report? I think it's never too soon. I mean, we give people a lot of tools to do self-help. So if you had a ding on your credit report today, yeah, you could hire a lawyer, but there's also things that you could do to write a letter. And we'll show you the right letter to write and where to send it to get more information or to dispute something. And so we'll help you write from the outset. But um, not everything needs a lawyer. But, but to answer your question, the best time is uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, I imagine that as as you go through, I mean, there's probably a lot of forensics involved with, you know, identity theft and... There can be. You know, what we're starting to see now, we're starting to deal with cases of forgery, which we've always, you know, forgery has been around since... uh, biblical times, probably, but forgery now of a document that was signed with DocuSign, okay? And so, or otherwise electronically, and they say, well, it's, you know, here's the, here's the trail, and, you know, here's the document trail of of where it went and the IP addresses, but we have people that we know for a fact uh, did not authorize or sign it. So that's a whole new interesting area when you say forensics and there's people, you know, I'm discovering that, that you know, focus on that and specialize in that. In that instance, that would be a DocuSign flaw in their 
system, probably. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't want to speak about DocuSign but, in particular. I mean, you know, every case, you know, you got to look at. But I'm just saying, you know, forgeries in the era of digital signatures is a whole new landscape. Always learning. I learn every day. What's the biggest threat that consumers are facing right now looking into 2022, 2023 and beyond? I mean, is, is, is it identity theft? Is it digital? Uh, yeah. Identity theft is, you know, I, I think of it as a subset of, I mean, it's just credit, right? For better or for worse, we live in a credit-based society. Even if you said to me today, I'm going all cash, I, I cut up my credit cards, there's still places you can't get in, you can't do without a credit card. Try renting a car, you know, or a hotel room without a credit card. It's an, it's an essential necessity of life to have a credit card in some form, even if you don't use it much. And so as long as we are credit based, we will be credit scored. And so there are people right now as we sit here or, or you know, digital machines running algorithms on you and me you know our credit is being scored every day every time you swipe that card and there's new ways uh, that you know credit reports credit bureaus are, are inventing new ways all the time so I think number one keep in mind that credit is king in that sense cash is king always but your credit determines a lot of what you do it can determine where you live it can determine what job you get try getting a security clearance if there's mistakes on your credit report we deal with a lot of security clearance matters my, my son's going through that right now he's working on a top secret clearance and uh they're like hey we see like a 25 dollars past due bg and e thing yep yeah and, and he's like bg and e hasn't been in my name for you know, eight right. years. And, and it was, I think, a $25 disconnect fee that yeah. he may not have gotten the bill. And he's like, okay, well, we'll write, yeah. Yeah. we'll go online and tap the payment and you know, exactly. take care of it right away. But. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I'm glad that our national security apparatus is that focused because it's important to make sure people aren't vulnerable to, uh, you know, bribery or extortion or, or, or what have you, that they're not a security risk. But with a 26% error in credit reports, it's a big problem. And living in the state of Maryland, where so many people have security clearances, you know, that's that's, that's another area that we really deal in a lot is counseling people about that, that have a mistake like that on your credit report. What do you do? What do you tell your security officer? And so, you know, going forward, I, I guess I would just answer it by saying um, the biggest issues are, generally speaking, consumer credit, consumer finance, being vigilant and not letting mistakes happen. Yeah, let them manifest there. Well, I mean, I think that, I mean, I remember the last SOFO meeting, you sort of closed out and gave everybody the warning and said, do the two-factor authentication. Yeah. Do the, you know, and I mean, there, there are certain steps that we can take. I mean, we can do the two-factor. I mean, I know I have the credit freeze. I think that's the right term on my credit yeah. reports so that I am notified every time somebody tries to, or people just can't willy-nilly access yeah. them. Uh, and then unless I release it. Just in the last week, I was reading an article in the newspaper that um, the Senate just did an investigation. Um, Senator Warren uh, led it, I think, and, and issued a report. And I believe the number was in the last year, maybe it was the last two years, there were about $250 million worth of fraudulent bank account hacks where people lost their money to a hacker. Okay, who let them in? Okay, was it you, the consumer, or did the bank apparatus let them in? And I'm talking about $250 million that people, for the most part, didn't get back because the bank 
blamed it on you uh, rather than themselves. So they have the keys to your, you know, your money is there, right? It's just like your credit is with the credit bureau, but really it's supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. But in this context, you know, you're guilty until proven innocent, meaning the burden is on you to make sure to monitor your credit reports. I, I've seen this scenario many times. People that don't really monitor their bank account statements. They're busy. They have kids. They have a job. And suddenly they realize, oh my God, $10,000, you know, was stolen from me, you know, three months ago or over a period of months. And if they sit on their rights, it doesn't turn out well. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we nobody, nobody balances their checkbook anymore. I mean, that was the old days. It was like, okay, well, I've got this. And right. we used to sit there and say, well, I got a float. I'm mailing the rent check yeah. today. And, and we really trust the banks to do it. I mean, a lot of them, you know, they'll categorize, categorize your expenses for you and list it. And you say, well, that looks beautiful. It must be correct. And if you don't look at it carefully, there could be a mistake in there. Or there could be some money leaking out to, a, to a, an identity thief or a hacker. And the bank will have no sympathy if you call if you come to them you know after 90 days you know they they'll say well there was a 90 day window and and you missed it so yeah, and you should have done it i mean it's sort of like putting your password on the sticky note on the side of your monitor on your right you know, on your computer right to a point that's really interesting so you got four you got four attorneys here in, in yeah. the office and you pretty much can handle a very wide variety of whatever legal wide issues. variety so. you know we're really known for the consumer stuff, but we do also, you know, the family law, construction law, and the general civil litigation. And then myself personally, I also counsel, you know, kind of personal lawyer to um, people that have been around for a while, high net worth individuals, where I kind of oversee uh, legal matters. Just what that what they need there. So, how long have you been in town? Uh, Are you a native? The whole no, no. I'm originally from uh, New York State, and I came down here in '88 to go to St. John's College, and then I stayed and went to Maryland, and uh, I've been an attorney in Annapolis since 1992. Long time, long time. I did take a five-year hiatus where I taught full time at University of Maryland Law School, and that was a lot of fun. I loved it. I did that from 2009 to 2014, and then and then I came back. And why'd you come back? I mean, if you, if you, you love you teaching it or did you miss practicing? You know, I loved teaching. I, I actually got to practice a little while I was there. I was running a consumer protection clinic. So I was actually training law students how to represent consumers in court. It was it was so much fun. You know, that gig, it just kind of, it, it ran its course. It was never designed to be, you know, a full a career forever. change. Yeah, a forever it was supposed to be three years, and I was able to raise some money and turn it into five. But uh, alas, it ended. And uh, I love practice now more than ever because we are growing and, and the ever-changing landscape. You know, it's so... I have been around since the days of typewriters. You know, I remember early in my career, we had a case, and I brought a lawyer in to help me with the case. We sued 16 defendants. And what that means... If you're a, a, the lawyer doing that or a lawyer involved in that case is every single piece of paper that got filed with the court had to be mailed to 16 people with, you know, U.S. Right. mail. And I remember the days we would work in my office, you know, filing some motion or some paper with the court and we'd be typing it in Annapolis 
we would photocopy 16 copies in the photocopier and then I would literally drive to Baltimore City to get it postmarked you know by midnight so that it was postmarked on the right day I I you know my, my girlfriend is an attorney and she always says boy the kids today have it so easy with the internet and everything yeah <laughs> no the notebooks and the manuals uh, and look yeah. case, case history and everything else and uh but uh yeah the typewriters I remember when I closed one of my offices my own a travel agency I found a, a pack of carbon paper behind a cabinet yeah. And my kids were a little young at the time, and you would have thought I discovered T Rex. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they're like, "What is that? Oh my god!" You yeah, know, it was. Uh, it's kind of funny. What does the future hold for Peter Holland? I mean, you've been practicing for thirty years. You mentioned that you had another attorney that came to you to help transition out. I mean, are you looking at uh, beachfront place in Tahiti anytime soon? Or? <laughs> Tahiti is on my bucket list. Yeah, I mean, I think for right now, I'm just really enjoying um, the business. I'm enjoying watching my kids grow from you know little kids to adolescents to now young adults. I've got 18, 19, 23, and 26. You're busy Uh, when you're younger. (laughs) Yeah, I was busy. And uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, traveling around and visiting with them. And, um, but for right now, we're just, we're, we're happy to be here. We're, we're very proud to be on the cutting edge of, you know, legal doctrine, legal practice, and also kind of the technology, you know, the, the fully be on the cutting edge. And, And that's exciting. It it does seem like it would be. I mean, that's probably what keeps you coming in here with, you know, with a with a hop in your step and a smile on your face for the most part. Because I mean, you're you're constantly evolving, and certainly when we're living in this technological and this digital world, and it's getting more and more so. Yeah, you know, you're going to have more and more opportunities and to learn and try to figure that puzzle out. I guess. Yeah, it is. And, you know, one example, you mentioned that we're both members of SOFO. So, you know, that's a marriage of technology and everything else because SOFO is a a business owner's organization. We got a lot of members. And during COVID, you know, there was no such thing as in-person meetings. So we have been meeting on Zoom. And so we can get on a, a SOFO meeting and maybe have 20 or 30 business owners on there talking to each other about what trends they're seeing in their business in Annapolis, in the community. And that's that's cutting edge. You know, we couldn't do that five years ago before Zoom existed. No, and, and what I, getting a little bit off topic, but I mean, you talk about a business association and SOFO represents pretty much like from a Chinkapin Round Road down Forest Drive with a right. couple of little offshoots. I'm finding more and more business owners are working together yeah. as opposed to, you know, I'm in my own little isolated booth, yeah. that, you know, in my own little world. They're they're reaching out. I know uh, Jared Lippman does a thing with Bay Ridge Wine and Spirits as far as the cash for schools and Lido Pizza and right. Mike Friedman at Evolve Medical. It's, yeah. It's it, a good thing. It's And it's I think it's a cultural thing. You know, we're not as siloed. Maybe it's partly technology that brings us together. But, you know, in the last few years, I had never heard this term before, but masterminds. You've, you've probably heard of that. These businesses that come together in small groups, perhaps with a... Uh, facilitator to talk about their issues, their problems, what they're seeing, and to get input from someone who owns a travel agency for me as a lawyer or, you know, a medical practice or a hardware store owner um, and see what do we all share in common as business owners, as as corporate citizens. And I mean, it's I'm super jazzed about that stuff. It is. It's a good organization. If any businesses that are not members that are in that corridor, definitely check them out. Please um, do. Uh, always welcome more input and everything else. Well, this has been exciting. I mean, uh, congratulations on your 30 years. And, yes. uh, you know, for that you've been here since 92. 
uh, I, I was admitted in 92 and I was on um, Inner West Street, 77 West Street. I had an attorney that did business that, that was at 77, Dan Downer. Dan Downer was right downstairs from us in there with Jonas Legum and Elliot Newcomb and I yeah. was upstairs. It's been an exciting ride. Well, we look forward to hearing more. You want to get more information at hollandlawfirm.com, which is really very easy to spell. There's nothing funky and different about that. If you want to come to 914 Bay Ridge Road, above the Main and Market Cafe, and it is Suite 230. That is correct. Um, is that the best way to get in touch with you? Just come onto the website first and then... Yeah, um, the best way is we really do encourage people to come to the website and we have a contact us button. If, it, if it's, a, if it's a, you know, a new legal matter or something, the best way is to do it through the website and then we can track it pretty easily and get back in touch with you. Figure out the best person to handle the problem and, and go from there. Exactly. Hey, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's Local Business Spotlight. Please make sure to visit ionanapolis.net for all your local news, events, and opinion. And in case you haven't already, please subscribe to the Ion Annapolis Daily News Brief, where we bring you all the day's local news direct to your phone, tablet, or computer in about 10 minutes. It comes to you at 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.